Alright, what is up everybody? Welcome back to episode 8 of the Solid Ground Podcast. My name is Lucas Larson and I'm here with my buddy Scott Farley and he's going to let y'all in on what we're going to be getting into today. Last week uh, we finished up in verse 13 of Romans 6, so we're going to pick up in the second half of chapter 6 and get into the beginning of chapter 7. Today and last week we talked about how we've become dead to sin, alive in Christ, and Paul's going to take that uh, one step further to really talk about how we're now living under a new master, how we're now under the master of Jesus, the law of righteousness, and in the process being transformed into a new creation. All right, y'all, let's go ahead and jump in here. We got Romans 6, picking up in verse 14. It says, For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so I know I'm just stopping at one verse there, um, but I think it's important because this is sort of a bridging verse. Um, you know, it's why we stopped at where we did in verse 13, and and so this is what we're, we're coming into, right? So he, he follows up the ideas and ideology that he set forth, the truths and realities um, here in which he stated that we as believers are made dead with Christ, right? We're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. So we're made dead with him and then now brought into a newness of life in him. We're now to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we are to now no longer let sin reign in our mortal bodies, right, so that we'd obey its desires, but instead we're supposed to offer ourselves up as weapons for righteousness, right? And so he makes then this statement, right, therefore or for sin will not have rule or dominion over you, man, which is just such a beautiful mm. thing. I think in and of itself, yeah. like, thank you, Lord, that sin has no dominion over mm. the believers. Like, that's an incredible thing. Um, and then yeah, he makes this statement, right? He makes a explanatory statement in which he says, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Um, and I think initially this brings up a lot of questions of what that's really meaning. But I think that we'll see, and we might just throw a pin in it for right now and then really explain it as we get there. He really kind of explains this when he gets to chapter 7 uh, in the first few verses there. Um, so I think we'll put a pin in it now and then come back to those questions for its meaning when we get to chapter 7. Love it. So let's go ahead and jump into verse 15. So he picks up and says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of, those things that result in death? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So good. Uh, man, so he, he's sort of, again, man, he's using these these questions, right, against somewhat of a critic um, to be able to explain mm. these realities in our lives. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, when he first asked the question in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, mm. um, he says, what does your version say? Can we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Yeah, it says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increease? Oh, you're saying, shall, shall we? Oh, man, mm-hmm. this is up my whole thing. There's certain, <laughs> there's certain uh, translations that, that take that as can we, right? They say, can mm-hmm. we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? As if to mm-hmm. produce a hyper grace and saying, well, is it possible that we continue? And then he re- lays out a reality and saying, no, it's actually mm-hmm. impossible that we continue in sin so that grace may multiply, because you've been crucified with Christ, and you've been risen with him, so your whole life is different. And then here he uses, shall we, which is almost as if to say, well, is it, like, possible that we could, like, sin a little bit? Like, Mm -hmm. could we consume these things every once in a while, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I almost see it more of, like, it's something that the enemy uses to say, like, well, because we're under, because you're under grace, you can sin this one time and still be forgiven, right? So, yeah, you're like, you, you, you could or you shall partake in these things. But Paul now lays out a, a, an addition to that reality or, or the subset of what mm. happens because of that in our lives, and that is that our lives are actually completely changed. It's not just this reality, this mm. pillar, but there's now a, a, a house and a, a community built upon this great pillar in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and I love how emphatic Paul is in his response to these questions offered again by the the hypothetical critic, uh, where he says, by no means, (laughs) basically, absolutely, Absolutely positively not, not. you can't do (laughs) this. And it really is a common belief sometimes where we just, you know, we excuse ourselves by saying, well, I'm under grace and he'll forgive me. And we use the whole example of a married man who just uses marriage as a title but doesn't live out the reality of what it means to be married. And here, like you said, he's going to go on to use uh, slavery as an illustration. Obviously, we have negative connotations, as we rightfully should, around slavery. But this is more of a joyful, uh, obedient, willing uh, allegiance to Jesus. And I just had written down here is that one way we should check our pulse spiritually is to see if gospel teaching has claimed our allegiance. Like, if you want to know how much you're alive in Christ, you kind of put your finger on your pulse and say, how much has the gospel claimed my allegiance? Because if I'm claiming that I'm in Christ, but the gospel has no physical or literal claim on my life, it might be that I'm living out of alignment with the message that I proclaim. Hmm. And we see that, just so the the reference in verse 17, uh, where he talks about, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, again, this is where he's saying, here's where you find your pulse. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. It's yeah. placed a hold on your life. Yeah. yeah. I was just about to say I love that uh, your translation words it that way. Um, mm. That idea of allegiance, right, that we have been now almost like claimed mm. by something else, but there is a, a joyful and willing response to it, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard yeah. for us to see through this lens of slavery in 21st century America, I think much more difficult. Mm. Um, I think that this illustration would have hit home, you know what I mean, for Mm. the Jews in Rome in a different way. Um, But I like that 
word allegiance, right? Because that's what that's what he's explaining here, right? He's mm-hmm. using the word obey, right? If you're if you're a slave in the context that we know it, you don't have a choice to obey, right? But mm-hmm. here he's representing two sides in which you can essentially choose to obey one or you can choose to obey the other. And the only way you obey God and, uh, and become enslaved to righteousness is if you're set free from sin, being claimed by one who loves your soul, and now being able to live in joyful obedience towards that individual, that being God. Hmm. I think that our, yeah, I, 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 that all to say, I just think our mind and our, our, our frames need to be shifted a little bit as to the way that we see the way that like slavery is used. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think we got to get into the spirit of how Paul is using the word, which is exactly what you're describing, is that when he's talking about this, it's a joyful expression of being claimed, his life fully claimed by Jesus as master. And one of the central claims of the gospel is that Jesus is king. So we think of this word allegiance as something that almost belongs. We don't use that word in a democracy, you know, but if you view a monarchy, you'd say, yes, the king has my allegiance. And yeah. one of those central claims, again, of the gospel is that Jesus is king. But when you consider the reason that that is good news, again, the gospel is good news, yeah. yes, that your sins have been forgiven, but also it's good news that the humblest, kindest, most yeah. gentle, meek, powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, almighty person mm-hmm. in the entire universe is the king is reason for great rejoicing, and we willfully give our allegiance to him. And other places where we find the spirit that Paul is using this type of language, it's a little bit different of an illustration of the picture. He'll talk about himself uh, being at the end of this triumphant procession where Jesus, uh, you know, let's say that a Roman uh, king would have claimed victory over a people group. There would be this procession back into the city where the king would be at the front uh, he might be wearing, you know, a purple robe, and everyone's hailing him as he's coming into mm-hmm. the city, and then all the people he's taken captive are in his procession, which are slaves. And at the end of it was somebody who was usually going to be led into, say, like a coliseum or to some type of public place, and they were going to be executed yeah. basically for the king to show that he had claimed dominance over that people group. And yeah. Paul joyfully says, as an apostle, you know, the head of the church, you know, under Christ, that yeah. he's at the end of the procession and he's willfully in this life giving his life for Christ and he actually rejoices in that. It's not some type of begrudging uh, slavery to Jesus, but he's finding uh, freedom in the fact that he's now been claimed fully by allegiance to Jesus, the new king who's conquered. Yeah. So yeah. The good news is that love, Jesus yeah. king. <laughs> yes. Um, but, man, it really is a – I don't want to get too far off on this, yeah, yeah. Um, but it really is a beautiful kingdom to be quote unquote, or a beautiful king to be quote unquote enslaved to, See, because instead yeah. of being thrown yeah. into a coliseum as you in that road, uh, yeah. you're you're given a crown of your own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. such a, a more beautiful pursuit, um, and right. that's what he's saying here, right? Is that I don't want to get too far ahead without explaining the realities presented. Yeah. But, this this is a a slavery that leads to eternal life yes, versus yes. a slavery that leads to death, right? So yes, what he's saying yes. here is that you he starts in verse sixteen. He says, "Don't you know that you you always are offering yourselves up to someone as obedient slaves?" Right? That's a that's a declarative statement mm-hmm. towards all people in which he's saying mm-hmm. everyone is giving themselves over to someone 
and that someone yes. is the individual that they obey. And I want to say someone or yes. something. And then he breaks it down even further or makes it even more general, and he says it's either of sin or it's of righteousness. So of sin or mm. of God, right? And yeah. sin leads to death, obedience. Yes. Uh, it actually, I think it's interesting that he says obedience mm. leading to righteousness. Um, I almost think that what he's saying mm. is like this is the only way to live life. Like this is the way to eternal life, yeah. to a life of righteousness is you choose to obey God. Um, yeah, and I just want to say, as you mentioned, yeah, just so you mentioned the whole idea of, uh, you know, you're going to be obedient to somebody. And some people may say, especially living in a country that has so many liberties and so many personal freedoms and so many choices, we have so many options. Many people listening or just people in our generation might say, well, I'm not obedient to anybody. I do what I want. Mm-hmm. Well, your, obe- your allegiance is to yourself. The original call of discipleship is deny yourself. And I think something we have to reintroduce is this language again of the kingdom is that you can't be king while Jesus is also king. And so your allegiance can't be to an autonomous self. You have to dethrone self to let Christ rule over your life. Mm -hmm. And though you may not view yourself as obedient to anybody, if you're the one making all the choices, all the decisions for your life, you have an autonomous view of yourself that you're in charge you're in control. Well, the Bible says that if you cling to your life, if you cling to self, that's yeah. death. So yeah. literally, even as we use that image, that picture of the triumphal procession, when we view how Jesus ascended the throne, how he got the crown, it was an upside-down, inside-out kingdom from the world's vantage point. It looks yeah. like he's being overtaken. He does receive a purple robe, but it was in mockery. He receives the crown of thorns on this earth. And then he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. So Lucas yeah. is saying you're going to get a crown, but that's in the age to come. And in yes, Corinthians, right. I don't want to get too far off base, but he that's actually rebukes is. the church and he says, I wish somebody would have let me know that you guys already started reigning. And he's basically saying in the present age that you're reigning. Mm. And he goes, because it seems to me that, and he starts to list off all the difficulty he's going through for spreading the gospel. And he's like, I wish somebody, and he's kind of being sarcastic, would have let me know, because he's living the inside-out, upside-down kingdom. He's following in the way of Jesus and understands that the crown is for the age to come and the life to come, that he's not looking for his reward on this side of eternity. And I think we have to understand that, because otherwise we get this mixed up and we think, that what the Bible calls death is life and what the Bible calls life is death, we have to get yeah. the inverted kingdom in, in brand, or branded in our minds. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that clarification, bro. Um, yeah. That's definitely, I mean, and we, I know that's we, what you meant. I just want to give yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, it needs to be painted. I mean, one thing I love, my brother Zach always says, is, uh, you know, we have, there is, in our hearts there is a throne and there is a cross, right? And because mm. Jesus went to the cross, died, and rose for us, he now gets, mm. must sit on the throne of our hearts, and we mm. get put upon the cross, right? So that we're the mm. ones who are dead, and now he is the one living in us. So um, good. I love that picture, man. But, man, then you see in verse 17, right? So he first says, everyone offers himself to someone, and you either have sin or you have obedience to the gospel and righteousness, right? Then he says, but mm. thank to God although you used to be slaves of sin. So now he says everyone was a slave to sin, right? Everyone before God intervened is a slave to sin. You obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became 
enslaved to righteousness, right? So now we see this shift. He says this, uh, that we obey from the heart the pattern of teaching to which we were handed over. That pattern of teaching, that is the gospel, right? He's saying that you obey the gospel from your heart. God sets you free, and now you're able to be enslaved to righteousness. Hmm. So yeah, then we see those ahead. connotations of that, right? So, like, there's, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't just stop there, right? Like, it leads unto something. So, it's kind of, there's, essentially, like, this is saying that our, our enslavery affects our lives in different ways, right? So, how is it that our enslavery to sin affects our lives? And then how is it that our enslavery to righteousness or unto God affects our lives? Yeah, and I think the last two verses hit the nail on the head and it basically says you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We can say amen to that. And this, again, we talked about the Romans Road, a common evangelistic tool that helps people in just a few verses uh, be able to memorize and explain using, you know, scripture, uh, the ability to explain the gospel. And this is one of those verses that's commonly used for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we we mentioned one of those other kind of pillars or kind of those signposts on that Romans road being that for all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. So we we give people their state. Their state is that they're sinners, and then we show them what the result of their sin should be. The wages of sin is death. You deserve death because you're a sinner. And there's yeah. no leg to stand on. There's no excuse before God. As Lucas would say, you know, in the previous episode, the gavels come down guilty. Yeah. But the gift, but the gift, and the gift goes yeah. back to the grace of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yeah. again, here we find the spirit that Paul is writing this in is not begrudgingly uh, taking on the slavery to Jesus, this type of slavery to righteousness, but he's rejoicing in being mastered by the one who gave it all for him. Yeah, yeah. So good. And, I, man, like, that that uh, statement in verse 23, I think, again, as you're mm-hmm. saying, that pillar, um, it is the idea of total depravity, right? Like, everything mm-hmm. that we're doing as sinners leads unto yes. death. Like, there is no yes. other way out, but then the gift mm-hmm. of God comes in. It's him freeing us from that. Um, and, man, I want to point out, like, so as this is talking about the way that our lives are affected by who we obey, right, by, by mm. where we offer ourselves. Uh, it says in verse 19, he says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. He then says, for just as you, are offered, as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as, to, as slaves to righteousness, which results mm. in sanctification. For when you were slaves mm. of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. But what fruit was produced then from these things, which you are now of ashamed? The outcome of those things is death, right? Uh, mm. And so I just think it needs to be said, number one, two things. Um, and number one is like, as that statement says, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, right? And that that is talking um, more at the end of our actual lives, right? Uh, like it's yeah. leading unto death in and of itself, our physical bodies losing the air within our lungs, right? But also in the eternal aspect and our separation from God, right? There's an eternal death to be had there. Mm. Um, but there's also things that I think that people living as slaves to sin walk through now, right? Being enslaved to sin leads to greater and greater amounts of lawlessness, right? Increasing mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. And even in, 
and as what he says here in verse 21, being ashamed, being guilty of the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, that leads me to the second thing I want to say. Uh, I think it's possible that there are people that listen to this that are believers but struggle within themselves with the statements being made here because you say, mm. I am enslaved to God, but I still choose sin at times in my life, or I have chosen sin at times in my life, right? So how is it that I uh, wrestle with that, or how do I how do I come to terms with that within myself? Um, and I want you to speak to that too, but I, I want to say, like, number one, uh, we, we are called to lives of repentance in which mm-hmm. we're choosing to turn from our sins, place our faith in God completely, mm-hmm. surrender our lives to him, then living for him. Um, but I also just want to point out the realities of what's happening in a believer's life as they choose sin while still being enslaved to God. We feel death. I know this from my own life. Uh, we feel mm-hmm. the darkness of death. We feel that mm-hmm. shame. We feel that guilt, right? It's like the side effects mm-hmm. of a disease. Um, and man, the, but the goal is freedom, right? Like God promises mm-hmm. that he will complete the work that he's begun in us. And so to whoever that individual may be, and then maybe I'm just speaking to myself. Um, mm-hmm. But Galatians 5 one says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of bondage, right? Release yourself from that yoke of bondage. Call on the Spirit to come cleanse you. Allow Jesus to wash your feet. And man, live a life of full repentance in which you are chasing after Jesus and everything you do. And live as one enslaved to him for the sake of his glory. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll just come on that real quick. That's a real thing. And something... I struggle with, Lucas, I can just assume because you're human, you struggle with, as you mentioned, too. Uh, so just a couple practical things. One, if you're not yet in a place where you hate your sin, mm. that, that to me would be almost step one. And I believe that yeah. the Holy Spirit can produce that in your heart. So I would pray and say, God, right now I enjoy this and I'm struggling to lay it down because I still like it and I don't want to let go yeah. of it. And I would yeah. ask the Lord to produce hatred, not for yourself. Don't hear what I'm not saying not for yourself, but hatred for the sin so that you want to repent and you don't want it in your life anymore. That would be step one. Uh, The repentance that Lucas talked about, it's an about face. It's a turning around. And I think part of overcoming uh, those struggles is a deeper joy in God. I think that we play so much defense, and part of the offense is finding a deeper joy, a deeper well of satisfaction in God. And I think that as Paul, again, we have to know the spirit that he's writing this in is not that he's just, like, going to white-knuckle his way, uh, you know, to the end of his life. He has these, we find all through his letters, these spontaneous moments of, like, doxologies and moments where he just erupts into praise and worship when he considers the plans of God and what God has brought him out of and as he celebrates the gospel in his life. And I think we have to discover how to enjoy God, how to uh, revel in these realities, what Christ purchased for us, not only for the future, but now his presence with us, the Holy Spirit, uh, his sanctifying work in our life. I I actually, I'll just confess, when I was first saved, I was on fire, but then as I got, like, further along, a couple years into high school, I just remember actually having this thought that if I stay on this course, I thought that by the time I'm 30, which sounded ancient, I'm 30 now, so, (laughs) you know, I was like, I will be the most boring 
person in the world because all fun will have been, and maybe I am to some of you, I don't know, but I like my life. Nah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but just throwing that out there. But I'm just saying, like, I had this thought, I will be the most boring person ever because I will just be so, I mean, I'll, I'll say so good, so morally good that nothing fun will be present in my life. But guys, God is not boring. God is the most fascinating yeah. thing in all the universe. And I know I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but it goes back to how do you make yourself a willing, not just a begrudging, but a willing yes. and obedient servant mastered by Jesus? Yeah. You enjoy the master. You enjoy yeah. staring at him, spending time with him, sitting at his feet, letting the word sit over you. And yeah. yes, it's uncomfortable at some point. So I'm not saying it's all just going to be, you know, frolicking in, you know, the fields, but it is difficult, and yet the more joy we find in Christ and in our relationship with him and the realities he's purchased for us, the easier it is to walk this journey out. Yes, I understand. I mean, I think uh, I love that you said that. Uh, and I really don't think it's off topic at all because I think that this is the vein through which we live lives of joyful, quote-unquote, in slavery to God uh, is when we understand the substitutional reality of what the gospel is. I think that so often it is taught as a cut this off and cut that off and cut that off. And that's all that's said, right? Like it's like a, it's a, uh, like a gospel of attainment, right? Uh, mm. I think that's the right word, right? Like yeah. keeping yourself from things, right? When in reality, <laughs> it's mm. pushing you into the greatest joys and pleasures yeah. and fullness that you could ever find in this life. And so, man, I, on that, I just want to say, if you uh, if you just take some time and look into Christian hedonism uh, from mm. John Piper, go to DesiringGod.com and just type in the search bar, Christian hedonism. Um, mm. Man, I think that there are beautiful, beautiful realities than which he lays out in a very mm. Uh, mm. wonderful way that I think will change uh, your mind and the way that you think about these things. Yeah, and I just want to throw out, just because we used this illustration last week with the whole marriage yeah. thing, you know, I'm a married man, and, you know, Lucas, you've been dating Maddie for a number of years now, and the thing that keeps me from cheating on my wife, okay, it's, it's both. There is a fear of the Lord that, yeah. one, that's wrong, so I'm not going to do that, but there's also, I love my wife, and I'm motivated by the desire to keep our relationship healthy, and I enjoy yeah. my marriage, and I enjoy being uh, in in relationship and communion with her, I don't want to break that. But it, it is there is both a hatred for sin. I've you know I come from a family that was torn apart through uh, adultery, and I, so there is a, a literal hatred for that sin. And yeah. yes, the fear of the Lord causes me to want to flee those things that lead to death. But the greater motivator is my love for my wife, not just my fear of punishment, but my love for yeah. my wife my love for our relationship, the union that we share, and a longing and a desire to not break that fellowship. And I think that that, again, becomes a simple picture that it's not just, well, I want to have more than just the title. It's, it's also, no, the, the reality of what I've been called into is beautiful and amazing, and I want to experience yeah. all of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. So good. All right, are we ready to jump in and actually talk about an illustration on marriage? <laughs> we said we oh yeah there's an illustration on marriage hey look at that <laughs> i wasn't yes, even sir. thinking about that uh yeah let me go ahead and read it and then if you want to give some explanation and tie it back to verse 14 as we promised we were going to yeah, do man. so yeah, yeah, yeah. just going to read the first three verses do you not know brothers and sisters 
for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Yeah, so... Like I said, we're going to tie this back and explain verse 14, right? So we have this idea here, right? And he says at the get-go, he says, since I'm speaking to those who know the law, and I think he's talking about the Jews in that context, right? But he says, don't you know that the laws rule over someone, this is a blanket statement, as long as he lives, right? Then he chooses an illustration. He says, for example, a married woman, she's legally bound to her husband as long as he alive is alive. But, as long, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband, right? So let me go back to that statement made in verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. How is it that we're not under the law? We have died. <laughs> we, we cannot be under the law mm. if you are dead, right? Yes. And, it says, and then how is it that we're under grace? We have been brought back to life by the grace of God through the power of Christ and in the mm. spirit, right, to walk in a newness of life, right? And I think it's also mm. worth noting, well, why is it that the word law is chosen there? Well, I think it's because the law pushes us to try and attain salvation by mm. righteousness of our own works. And this is saying you're no longer under that. You've died to those things, to that old way of life. The old self has been crucified with Christ. Now you've been risen with Christ, and now you're under grace to live in that way. Hmm. You know, just the words that are going through my mind, and I hope that I say this right, but uh, the law, in a sense, calls you to live up to, and I believe that what Christ has brought us into causes us to live out. And I was just thinking about, you know, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, is that we're living out of the reality that we've been brought into, and specifically it lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, on down, and it says, against which there is no law. And basically as Christ's nature is being formed in us, it's producing this good fruit uh, by abiding in him, as we're learning to love God, to savor our relationship with him, and to love others created in his image, uh, such a lifestyle does no wrong against the law, doesn't violate the law, doesn't mean that we sin, uh, but we actually uphold, you know, those things found in the law through this lifestyle of being created new in Christ. Yeah, that's good. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in and finish up verses 4 through 6. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Now, can we just Hmm. praise over one thing real quick? (laughs) I just love it. It It says, you were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. And what a beautiful thing that we belong to the king of all kings, to the beautiful Mm. son of God. Like, man, that is just such an incredible reality. I love it. Mm. 
if you want to go ahead, Lucas, I don't know if you've got it right in front of you. I know before we hopped on to record this, you're reading yeah. a Spurgeon quote that I feel like is so oh, yeah, appropriate yeah. here for just just for that last verse where it talks about we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the yeah. old way of the written code. And I feel like it's just so appropriate here. Yeah, yeah. So Spurgeon in talking about uh, verse 14, but I think also in relation to here in verses 4 through 6, he says, the reigning ruling principle now is not you must or you shall for a reward or that you would live under fear of punishment, but that God has loved you and now you love him in return. And what you do, do springs up from no mercenary or self-serving motive. You are not under the law, but you are under grace. Yet in another sense, you are never so much under the law as you are now. For grace puts about you a blessedly sweet, delightful law which has power over us as the word of command never had. It says that I will write my, my law in their hearts, in their inward parts will I write. A, that is the glory of the new life, the delight <laughs> of him who has passed from death unto life. Hmm. And I feel like that, <laughs> I love the way that that connotates to the illustration of marriage and like, what you were saying, because I think it's so true um, that there is this law, both in the case of, like, an earthly marriage and the one that, like, you are experiencing now and many others do, right, in which there is this law, I almost want to call it a law of love, right, in which mm. love was shown to you and you shown back in return. And so now it's because of that law that you live in such a way as to continue reciprocating that love back to the individual, right? And so now let's mm. tighten that on an even greater uh, level in which we have a God who is completely holy and set apart. And then we have us, again, who are totally in a depraved state, who cannot swim for ourselves, who cannot walk for ourselves, whose wages are death. And we have this God reaching across the divide in love, right? Mm -hmm. Calling us his own, right? Calling us belonging to him. And so now mm -hmm. we are living in this marriage of sorts, right? This marital-like mm -hmm. relationship in which our love is now thrown back on him, uh, and we live in a way that is unto his glory. Man. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to view it. And I think, you know, and I don't know if we can apply the categories of love languages to God. I don't know if that's, that's fair. <laughs> but, I, but I think that scripture would make a case that one of the ways that love language is basically, you know, I'm not going to get into the five that we use, humanly speaking, how you feel each other's love takes, but basically it speaks to how others receive the love that you intend to give to them. And I think that one of the ways that Scripture makes clear God receives love from us or interprets, uh, you know, what we do is actually loving him is obedience. And the way that we love him yeah. is we obey him, right? And that's tying back this concept of joyful willingness to surrender to him, to his lordship, to his kingship, yeah. uh, to his sovereignty well, over our life. Jesus as well, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, he, says, he does. Those it's love in me, First John, command, yeah. Right? Yeah. that's right, yeah. yeah. So I think the the way that we communicate love to God is through obedience. Yeah. But again, the heart motive is love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what makes, like, this picture so, like, this picture of marriage so beautiful because I think that it does, like, touch our hearts in some ways, right? Because we have mm -hmm. this reality in which 
like we were in a piss poor relationship with sin, a, mm. a horrible mm. marriage with mm. sin, right? And it, it it took Christ putting us to death through His own death in order to then free us from that. Then Him coming back to life and taking us with Him, essentially now belonging to Him and now married to Him, right? Um, mm. And then, and it's and it's unto this, right? Verse five. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. Again, this this connotates to what he said in the illustration of slavery, right? So while we were married to sin, we worked out our lives for sin unto death, right? But now we have been released from that bad relationship, and now we have died to what once held us, so that now we might serve in this new relationship unto the one who loves our souls, serving in the spirit and newness of life unto his glory and praise. Man, like, I, I just, I really think that there is an extreme level of heavenly wisdom, obviously, um, hmm. being poured out through this text that is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I, I love where we're getting ready to land this. I know that we're running up on the end of our time here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just want to give people this as a consideration. And, you know, sometimes when we even talk about things like obedience and, you know, no longer serving sin, there's actually a fear of the Lord in my heart as I'm sharing these things that I, I feel unqualified. Lucas, I don't know if you share that feeling, but you talk yeah. about these things. It's like I don't want anyone on the listening to this to think that we're talking as if we've arrived and we've mastered every, you know, yeah. we're perfect. We're, I feel so far from that. And I feel, like I said, unqualified. Yeah. And yet at the same time, when I consider uh, who God is, you know, the wrong view of God, the, the most wrong view of God would be dictator in the sky who just mm-hmm. throws out these random things that he wants us to be obedient to. And he then is looking for us to fail so that he can punish us. Yeah. And, if you really view God as the wisest, all omniscient, so he has all understanding. He sees yeah. every situation from every angle, inside and out. He possesses all understanding. He's the most yeah. benevolent, kind, generous, loving, uh, peace-loving, uh, kind-natured, perfect in justice and righteousness being in the whole universe, and he's yeah. king then yeah. any decision I would make outside of what he says is best, is, it's no wonder the Bible, especially in Proverbs, calls sin folly and the one who chooses the way of the yeah. wicked a fool. Because it's like yeah. you thought that you knew better than God. And it's yeah. not, again, if you, it starts with God as this harsh dictator in the sky. Well, you started with the wrong view of who God is. But if he's the yeah. kindest, humblest king in the whole universe, and he's sovereign, yeah. and he's God, then it's like, well, why not give myself in loving obedience and singleness of mind and purpose before God to serve him all the days of my life? And again, I say that literally with fear and trembling, saying I'm not even qualified yes. to make that statement because many times I've gone astray. Many times uh, I've chosen my own way. I've thought the wrong things. I've been motivated by the wrong things. But let's just leave with that consideration. Let's let that marinate in our minds. If that's who God is, as the Bible truly describes him to be, then why would we not want to fully give ourselves over to being mastered by him? Hmm. You know, it's, it's Proverbs so 3, good. 5, yeah. and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understandings, and he will establish yeah. all your ways. Yes, yeah. so good, man. I love that. All right, guys, so we're going to wrap up there. 
Um, and we just kind of want to give y'all an idea of where we're going because we kind of changed things up in a way that we were first going through whole books and now we're, we're seem to be stopping in the middle of some. Um, so we're going to kind of feel things out in the next episode, whether we get through, we're going to get through all of seven, but whether we enter into the beginning of chapter eight, um, we'll have to see. And then we're probably going to split up chapter eight into one or two episodes just because again, there are, uh, man, some really thick, deep, te- uh, textual reality. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite chapters in the whole that, body. Yeah, mine as well, man. Uh, so just a lot to talk through for the believer's life as we go through that. Um, but man, just want to thank y'all so much for tuning in here to this episode. Praise the Lord uh, that we have been crucified with Christ by His grace and now live in a newness of life, being enslaved to a beautiful, loving master and married to the King of Kings.